Would you like to get the devices from the world's top self-defense experts? If so, go on and get your pass from www.womensselfdefensesummit.com. Hey ladies, the Women's Self-Defense Summit in 2020 allowed me and allowed us to connect with other like-minded women and men about safety and personal safety and self-defense. And Marcy Grady is one of the women who I connected with. She is a co-founder and instructor of Firebrand Alliance in Georgia. And she does a bunch of workshops, trainings, online, offline, and is serving her community in such a big way. So it is such a pleasure to have Marcy Grady with us. Marcy, welcome. Hey, thank you, Kinko. All right, Marcy. So like I mentioned earlier, I've come to know you through the Women's Self-Defense Summit. And thank you so much, by the way, for joining us at the summit. Oh, my pleasure. And you are the co-founder and instructor for Firebrand Alliance. Tell yeah. us about Firebrand Alliance, what it is and what it does. So the focus and the mission at Firebrand Alliance is to educate individuals, parents, mentors, coaches, educators, um, people within the, um, the clergy, maybe youth pastors, really anyone um, who wants to learn more about risk reduction, intervention, survival, and restoration, uh, especially those adults who work with young people, because we know that statistically, our young people are most at risk for experiencing some form of violence or sexual assault or abuse in their life. And so that's the age group that we are really passionate about reaching. And if we can educate the trusted adults in our communities, they can take that information back to those young people. And hopefully we start preventing a lot of um, unnecessary trauma and heartbreak. Mm. That is such a great point, Marcy. So you mentioned the risk re reduction, intervention, survival, and restoration. And yes. you are focusing on educating younger generation. That makes so much sense. And that's much needed, especially in today's society. Yes. But tell us how the system works and how the flow works uh, to introduce that concept to the younger generation. So we start by introducing risk reduction. This involves teaching young people and adults um, how to set healthier boundaries in their lives in every aspect, whether it's at home, at work, when they're in school, online, when they are out with their friends. Um, and if we can teach people how to really recognize where their boundaries are, then we are more able to recognize predatory behavior. And again, that can be found in every part of your life. So it's everything from not only um, say a potential sexual predator, but it can just be that toxic coworker or friend. It might be recognizing that someone who is contacting you online is not safe. Um, and so the risk reduction really starts with examining our environment, learning how to set healthy boundaries within it and knowing how to effectively enforce them. Mm -hmm. uh, if we don't know how to say that's far enough, 
And then how to enforce that, the boundary means nothing. So that's how we begin to reduce risk and teaching young people to recognize unhealthy and predatory behavior before it becomes a problem. Okay. Marcy, I have a question. I grew up in very strict, uh, religiously strict family. And, uh, you know, I, I learned a lot and I appreciate everything my parents did. But when I think about it, it was kind of, you know, you could be take it, you, you could take it as a toxic relationship between my, my, my parents and I, because it's just so strict and trying to uh, control how I think, what I think. And that's something that I think perhaps contribute to, you can see that in the numbers of uh, runaway, the ratio, right? It's increasing of runaway kids and those people end up on the street and if, you know, ended up trafficked, right? Being trafficked and all of that. So if you're younger, watching this young, younger generation and I'm, I'm a mother and I'm, I'm guilty of yelling at my child <laughs> and kids and I really try hard, you know, do my best not to do that. But let's say young, younger generation, you know, teenagers watching this, mm -hmm. so stressed about the environment, uh, perhaps, uh, what's the right word? Dysfunctional family, right? Dysfunctional yeah. family. What can they do about that to set the boundary? So it's learning to communicate effectively. And this is tough. And this is, um, I think, one of the hardest parts of self-protection is when we recognize and realize that most of the time harm is going to come to us from someone that we already know really well, usually from somebody that we trust, love, be it a parent, grandparents, someone within the household, someone very close to the family. Um, sadly, that's usually where it happens. So teaching young people and as parents, we've got to be ready to reinforce this. And this is hard. I was also raised in a very conservative family here in the South. Um, when we went to family reunions and gatherings, you were expected to run the gauntlet of hugging everybody, <laughs> right? And so it was a big eye-opener to me when I began studying this and began learning more about what boundaries really means and what it means to teach your children to set them and take ownership of them. Um, allowing your children to say, I'm not comfortable hugging this person or watching their body language, reading it. Kids are pretty um, unfiltered, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> they make that face you see their body language change, be in tune with that and be ready to support your child in saying, it's okay, you don't have to hug so-and-so right now. Let yeah. them know that you are going to support them, um, even if it means that maybe they don't want physical affection from you at times. Not forcing that on them, but also not getting our feelings hurt tells them that we are going to continue to support them in determining what their boundaries are and knowing that uh, they have the right to do that. And so it starts with conversations, age appropriate conversations from the time that they're very young about what is appropriate touch and talk and behavior from an adult and what isn't. And there are definitely ways that that can be done at, you know, at every age. Yeah, I totally agree. Yes, absolutely. 
how I, how you talk to five-year-old and how you talk to teenagers are completely different, right? Yes. And the way that we model our behavior when we're out in public, if we're telling our children to set certain boundaries, but when they see us interacting with coworkers or friends and family, and we're not modeling that healthy behavior, that says a lot. They pick up on that far more than they do the words that are just coming out of our mouth. So what are the examples of that unhealthy behavior, behavior that we do on a daily basis? We probably allow um, family members, maybe parents or spouses or siblings to speak to us in a way that's disrespectful or hurtful, um, to be overly critical. Um, I know it happens a lot. Sometimes it's just a natural part of the family dynamic, um, but learning to speak to each other respectfully and to say to someone when they do cross that boundary, that was really hurtful. I'd appreciate it if you didn't talk to me like that. And that's tough to do. It is really um, difficult when we're talking about family and people close to us. It can be hard to draw those lines, but our children are watching and it really matters. Right. Yeah, it is definitely important. I mean, it, it is about our self-awareness, right? The parents to be, we need to be very self-aware of ourselves first, then we uh, obviously can become more uh, aware of our children's behavior or, you know, eye movements or any little bit of, you know, little expressions, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. That makes sense. So, so that's the stage of a risk reduction. And you said intervention, is it the next level? Mm -hmm. So intervention again, involves being aware. Mm -hmm. And this can be anything from, you know, listening to a friend who confides in you and maybe picking up on cues that they might be involved in an unhealthy relationship, um, or there might be something going on at home. Um, with a child that you come in contact with, or there's something happening at school that they are maybe afraid to just totally come out and tell you about, but they're cueing you in with what they're saying. Um, so it can be anything from that to you're in a shopping mall and you suddenly witness a situation beginning to escalate. So we want to empower people with skills to know how to recognize uh, a situation that's developing and safe ways to intervene and either direct that person towards the help that they need or sometimes even intervene directly on their behalf. So it just covers a broad range of skills. Um, but I think it's so important and they have found in studies where these programs are uh, incorporated in college campuses that sexual assault has been reduced because now you're becoming accountable for your fellow man, for your peers. You're looking out for them. And that predator suddenly knows, hey, this person isn't completely alone. Someone has eyes on them, someone cares, someone's paying attention, and it makes them far less of a target. Hmm. So tell us, like, what can we do? So we say, we see something that's, let's talk about teenagers, right? So we, but they particularly don't like to talk to adults when they're, no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> when they become that age, right? So are there any tips that, you know, parents can 
uh, have as a benchmark to um, to differentiate, you know, something's going on hormonally or actually something actually something happen, happening. Yeah. As parents, we usually know our kids pretty well, but the teenage years um, are tough. I have two daughters, one 16 and 21. So we've been through it. We're going through it. But we typically know when something is off. We begin to see patterns of behavior change, whether it's anything from eating, uh, sleeping, how they're performing in school, how they're talking to or suddenly not talking to friends, be it in person, on the phone, online. Um, changes can cue you in if they are um, suddenly very, very tired. That may be an indication that they're staying up late at night, maybe texting with someone or chatting with someone online. Um, you need to watch eating patterns. Uh, when a child is under a lot of stress and they become very anxious, they will often eat less or complain about stomach troubles. Um, and those can be cues that something is going on that they're not comfortable sharing just yet. Mm -hmm. So it's important that we sit down and just listen. Right. As parents, is, <laughs> you know, we have this natural uh, obligation to want to help our kids all the time. But I think, and so one of the hardest things is to simply sit back and let them talk with the intention of just hearing them versus always responding to them. Um, I've, we've learned this with both of our daughters. There are times they just want us to shut up and listen. They just need to get this out. And in doing so, we can ask questions that sort of, you know, direct the conversation and little by little, the story starts to come out. Um, and if it is a situation where the parents need to get involved, we've always made it clear to our children, we will allow you to make your own decisions and face your own consequences up to a certain point. But know that everybody makes mistakes. We are always here for you. And if you make a mistake and you are frightened and it feels out of control, we are there to walk with you through that. So for instance, a child has been chatting online with someone and the conversation now begins to come around to their soliciting pictures from them. The child sends pictures to them. Now they're being told that if they don't send more pictures, that person's going to release those pictures online. This is obviously a situation where intervention by an adult is necessary. Intervention by law enforcement may be necessary. But if your child is afraid to come to you and talk to you about that, you're not gonna know. So that's when we have to dial back that instinctive um, anger and maybe um, you know, instinct to blame our child. Well, what did you do? What have you done now? And instead we say, what's happened and how can we help you with this? So that they know that that door is open and you know, that they know that we might have that strong reaction at first but that our primary goal is to get them through this safely. Mm -hmm. So intervention on that level is looking for those cues, 
starting a conversation. Um, this is why it's so important that we reach other trusted adults in our, in our kids' sphere, especially teenagers. Um, I know my daughters have a very dear friend of ours who is their other mom, right? So they know that if there's something going on and they're scared to tell us, they can go to her. They also know she's going to come and talk to us about that, but having that buffer <laughs> really helps sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, this person has our back. She has our best, uh, our children's best interests in mind, in mind as well. So reaching trusted adults around our children because they don't always have someone at home. I mean, that's the truth. There's not always a parent or a caregiver that they feel comfortable going to. So they might go to a school teacher, they might go to a counselor, they might go to a coach, they might go to a volunteer at their after school program. So it's critical that we reach those adults with this information as well about spotting potential issues and what to do to help that child. That is absolutely a great uh, suggestion and recommendation, Marcy. I actually do that um, in my, my son, although I was bullied when he was third grader, um, and uh, you know, I talked to school and everything. I mean, that school is just um, incredible. They just hide, lie to your face. They hide mm -hmm. evidences and everything else. So we pull him out. That was a private school, but um, right now he's in public school, and you know, we just have that support system. Mm -hmm. uh, we created that, you know, to the neighbors and school teachers, counselors, tutors, everybody else, kind of like. Yes. <laughs> But I see it's, it's been helping him yes. in many ways. Yes. Knowing that not only the parent, but you've got, they've got other trusted adults that are, that are looking out for them and mm -hmm. helping to protect them. Um, that goes a long way towards giving the child that confidence that they can set their boundaries and, and enforce them. Yeah. His creating safer place, right? That's fire, brand alliance's motto, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely love that. All right, Marcy, so let's move on to survival and restoration. Uh, could you quickly tell us about how that works? So survival um, refers to a lot of the physical skills that we teach for surviving a traumatic event. Um, and I think, you know, I'm unique in this field in that I do not have an extensive martial arts background. Um, I was introduced to this program just a few years ago and realized immediately that it was something that I needed in my life and it was something that I wanted to pass on to not only our daughters, but other women in my community. And what I love about it is that the skills are ones that anyone can learn. Um, For example, what are the skills that the survival, traumatic survival uh, skills that anybody can learn? learn? Well, we learn to use things like elbows, right? So these make not only a very effective shield against strikes, right? They can also be turned into uh, quite the weapon when necessary. And unlike things like punches, uh, they don't break all of these little bones. Elbows are nice and pointy. They're very strong. They're very effective. Uh, I think especially because women are often, when they are attacked, it's by surprise, it's very sudden and violent, and someone is at close range very quickly. You may not have time to get in a punch or a kick. 
you're going to have someone in your face very quickly and you've got to know how to protect yourself and begin to neutralize that threat. We also use skills such as creating space, whether it's with our arms, using footwork, we begin to um, try to get out of the situation as quickly as possible, as safely as possible, or we just go absolutely feral until we survive that event. Mm -hmm. no, no program is ever guaranteed. Um, you're never guaranteed that um, you know, one particular skill or one particular countermeasure is going to work against an attack, but having a toolbox of effective skills that you can go to in that moment um, is critical to upping your chances of survival. Oh, absolutely. Increasing the probability of survival, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's all about self-defense. Like Marcy said, there's no one size fits all um, in self-defense, unfortunately. Everything is different. Everybody's different. Every situation is different. Yeah. So let's, um, Marcy, share with us about restoration program that you have. So we have found in our experience of training people, I know Sean Stark, my co-founder over the years, has experienced this as well, um, not only for himself, but in the students that he's worked with. I find this with the women that I teach um, and even the women that approach me about classes. They are, most of them are not there because they're looking to prevent something from ever happening. Um, most of them have already experienced some sort of trauma in their lives. And this has become a part of that healing and restoration process for them. And studies are proving that self-defense, self-protection classes, martial arts, things like this um, help to rewire the brain and give it healthy coping skills for healing from trauma. Um, the women are there because they wanna make sure that this never happens to them again. And it also empowers them. It gives them a confidence to take back what was stripped from them at a time that they were helpless. They know now that they have options. They know now that they do not have to be a victim again. And if nothing more, just that increased confidence and awareness and being able to draw healthier boundaries makes them far less of a target. Marcy, those women come to the class, self-defense class or training because they've already experienced some sort of a traumatic event and healing journeys is so important to them. And of course it is to actually everybody, right? Because as we, like, since when you're born, you've been under stress everywhere you go, like parents telling you what to do, what not to do, what to think, what to eat, all that, right? And then you grow up and, uh, you know, you have to make a decision, but it's based on what you've experienced so far. So traumatic events, uh, such as sexual assaults or uh, physical assaults and everything else, har harassment, stoking, right? Those things will um, tremendously affect and it's very difficult for them. I mean, it takes a really long time for them and a lot of effort for them to get over that and heal from it. So what kind of training or healing method you're uh, sharing with those victims or survivors, I should say? 
we do a lot of deep breathing exercises. So we take time to simply relax, become more in tune with our bodies. Um, they have found that the repetitive movements that are involved in things like martial arts and self-protection actually help to create healthy neural connections in the brain. Um, it's important for, I think, for instructors to be aware that the students in their class may have already endured some type of traumatic event, whether they are aware of it or not. And so I think there is this big trend, thank goodness, towards a trauma-informed approach to coaching. Uh, recognizing that people have already been through something and we don't want to cause further trauma. We don't want to put people in situations that might trigger them. We don't want to ask them to do things that they may not be comfortable with yet. So I always tell my women at the beginning of each class, we may cover some things here. We may work on some skills. We may talk about some subjects that are of particular, um, you may be particular sensitive to them. It may trigger something. You don't owe me or anyone else any explanation if you choose to step back and pass on practicing that right now. Um, when we're practicing things, especially like chokes or um, you know, getting up from the ground, fighting someone off who is on top of us, that I know is especially triggering for a lot of us. And so the women always have the option of stepping back if they're not ready. Um, when they are ready to go through those skills, we work through it slowly and deliberately so that they recognize that they are always in a safe space. Uh, I give them time to really establish trust with each other so that um, they always know that if they need to say, okay, time out, they can do so. Mm -hmm. And it has just been incredibly rewarding to see how far some of these women have come uh, in their healing process. And they say all the time, you know, this class just means so much. If it's nothing more than they come in five minutes before and I let them just beat on a heavy bag <laughs> and just work off some extra energy, that's incredibly therapeutic for them. I know it is for me. <laughs> Absolutely. So it's that mindfulness of knowing that um, you know, the people in there, we've all been through something at some point. And so we have that trust and we have that safe space. And from there, we can begin to work through these things. And it, it's just very empowering. And, um, yeah, it's just been very, very rewarding. So Marcia, tell me, uh, you, you emphasize that creating safer space. So how do we create safer space at home or with friends or it's like socially, what do we have to do to create that safe environment, safer environment for women and children and everybody? Yeah, I think so much of it starts with awareness. Mm -hmm. um, Self-awareness, self-value, how we view ourselves. Are we, you know, do we really, at the end of the day, love ourselves enough to fight for us? Are we willing to do what it takes to survive? Are we willing to do what it takes to create a safer, healthier home environment? And that means being able to tell a family member, what you said hurt me, or when you do this, I don't like it, please stop. 
We need to feel safe within our homes. We need to be able to do that in our schools. So our faculty, our administration need to be educated on this at all. It's, cool. it's got to be a team effort. It's got to be a community buy-in to create safer spaces. Parents, um, you know, I have a daughter in high school and one of her best friends, her father does not allow sleepovers and she sort of took it personally. And I said, honey, I completely agree with his decision. We know that we are safe adults. There's no way for her father to ever know that. And so I completely respect that boundary of not allowing his only daughter to have sleepovers, whether for her to go to someone else's house or for someone else to come and stay in their home. You know, I grew up in a time where sleepovers were like the thing. We all did it. But I mean, come on, we all know, we have heard the stories. We know what happens sometimes, unfortunately. And so as parents, we've got to be ready to draw those lines and we've got to be ready to hold them even when it might make us unpopular. And we have to teach our children the same thing. These are your boundaries. You better know them. Be ready to hold that line even if it makes you somewhat unpopular with your classmates. So what? you're gonna come home safer. Your odds of surviving to adulthood are much greater. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, I completely agree with you, Marcy. So um, unfortunately, our interview time is getting closer to the end. But Marcy, I have to ask you this question. What would you suggest for women to overcome what if I get attacked fear? I think that fear is universal. And I think the, the most effective ways to deal with that are to find some form of training, whether you can find a class in your community or online because online instruction is more popular than ever right now, do something. Take ownership of your personal safety, know what your options are, know how to reduce your risk so not going out alone, not going out after dark, not going into certain neighborhoods. We all have a responsibility to take ownership of our personal safety and do what we need to do to ensure it. So grab a friend and go to a class. If you're intimidated, I encourage you to get past that. Um, I know that that was something for me that was tough. I was like, oh, I'm not gonna be any good. Everybody else has been doing karate for 40 years and <laughs> I've just started. But, you know, find a group that you feel great training with, learn some practical safety skills, learn about awareness, environmental, situational, and threat awareness, start putting it into practice. It doesn't mean living in this state of hypervigilance and being, you know, scared of everything all the time. It just means putting down the phone and paying attention to what's going on around you and paying attention to the relationships and to the people that are coming in and out of your life and making sure that they're healthy ones and that they're safe ones for you. You can find out Marcy's information down below. So go check it out. And once again, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Would you like to get the devices from the world's top self-defense experts? If so, go on and get your pass from www women's self-defense summit.com